Hey gang, welcome to the Galathetics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, our guest is Athletics LLC. We've got it returning here, episode 17, featuring the wise and wonderful Brooks Johnson. Uh, if you search the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, you'll find Brooks as a guest of ours a few weeks ago. I uh, can't tell you how important it is for you to go listen to that episode right now. So happy that our friends at Athletics LLC had him on as a guest today. And and they titled this one, Making Ripples in the Water. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Athletics LLC, episode 17. You are tuned in to Athletics LLC with Lamar. Lucius, Big League Chew, him, my man Clyde. You are about to be schooled in all things track and field. This is experience. Yes, sir. We are talking past, past present, present, future. future. Y'all listen up. Let's go. Hello and good evening. Thank you for joining us for another week of fun stuff on Athletics LLC. Uh, this week we've got a great guest to be introduced in just a moment here. But as always, we'll start with the introduction of our panel. Uh, this evening we've got Lamar loves so. Oh, I'm sorry, Lamar loves cow. I know, I don't, I know. How do I do that? Right. <laughs> we've got Lucius. Good evening. Clyde. What's up? And the all infamous Coach Brooks Johnson. Welcome, sir. Fanfare, fanfare, fanfare. Love it. Thank you for taking your time to take uh, taking the time to join us this evening. Um, Coach Johnson, what do we need to know about you? What do what those who could possibly not know who you are, what do they need to know about you? If they don't know, don't mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. He just said, Google me. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're going to dive deep into the deep end then. Um, we are going to start off our first question this evening, which is, uh, what are the three greatest evolutions that you've all seen or experienced in track and field since you've been in it? It's a very interesting question. When I started out, white guys are just as likely to win the 100 as black guys. As a matter of fact, the only person to win the indoor national championship at 60 yards, which is a real gauge of sprinting, the guy named John Haynes from the University of Pennsylvania. So here you have an Ivy League guy, white guy, winning the sprint championship four years in a row. The other thing was that uh, the distances of 1,500 and above were basically dominated by white people. Got it. Gentlemen, what are some of the other things that you've seen? I mean, I think for me, um, I, the one thing I've like, just the evolution of women in our sport. Um, when I first started running, it, like, like even in Ohio, I don't, remember, I don't remember when they started running the women's stadium. Like, I didn't, I don't remember them being one when I ran in Ohio. And our girls' track team, we had one, but I don't ever watch them like run a meet, which is crazy. I just, I don't have a memory of that. Um, so the evolution of women in the sport itself, um, and obviously 
for me also the evolution of women in the coaching ranks and you know watching you know women become more prevalent um you know from from that aspect of it and and, and putting their imprint and a lot of great things that have happened on this sport not just from the female perspective perspective of coaching women but also that we've got of females coaching great men athletes as well now so that's those, those are two things that stick out right away for me the other thing that sticks out for me is the fact that when there were no or few programs for women those of us that were coaching women young kids for that matter had to coach them to make the national team they had to go up against the russians and the east german when they were at their drug best but like Mary Decker uh, was running two minutes when she was like 16 or 17 years old. Uh, Mavis Lang ran 51 seconds in a 400 at 14 years old. So the deal is then when they got into high school, high school programs, the performances went back. We're just now starting to get back to where they were in the 60s and the 70s. In 72 is when the Title IX came into effect. But the first thing that happened was a drop-off. So instead of training and coaching kids to beat the East Germans and the Russians, people started coaching kids to win their conference meet, uh, the state meet, et cetera, et cetera. And the overall performances of young uh, female athletes dropped off. Uh, for me, that's super well said, but for me, the, the big, I think the biggest uh, change, uh, evolution that's happened since I've been doing the sport is that the sport is national, it's not regional anymore. Like, when I transferred from, from Peru, I literally pulled out an actual physical map and looked at states that had weather that I wanted and picked schools that were good schools and then from there, like schools that had a good track program, whereas now you just pick up a phone and you can see anything you want. So, um, you know, like now you can be a kid in Delaware and be spotted by coaches in Texas because of the internet. But when I, when I was in school, a lot of times schools were very, very good because they did a good job of recruiting regionally. And now some of the hardest kids that there are for you to get are kids that are right in your backyard because they know too much about you. Um, I think beyond that, beyond the, uh, the nationalism, um, kind of along the lines, the same lines as what Lucia said about the coaching, um, not only are there quality females in coaching, but what I've really liked to see that has come about is the evolution of the coaching of, of dual gender programs. There are a lot of females that are coaching, and there are a lot of men who are coaching and neither of those things were happening when Well, one of the things about women administrators and coaching, going into the NCAA changeover from AIEW to the NCAA, at that point, 90% of the people that were administering women's program were women. 90% of the coaches that were coaching women were women. Within two or three years, those that data was halved under the NCA office. The first thing the NCA did was to cut back women's scholarships from 24 to 18. So yeah, there's been a, a change, but it's not necessarily for the better. 
particularly in terms of women rolling and controlling their own destiny? I think um, the evolution of the sport in general has already been covered in every aspect that I would have thrown out there uh, by everybody that's already spoken. Uh, for me, um, I think the, the one point that, that maybe could go a little further is, is the technological advances that we've made as a society, period, that are now obviously increasing <coughs> levels of performance um, at every level of the sport. I think as, as coaches have become more educated, I think as uh, technology has improved the tracks, the spikes, the devices that we all have access to and the devices that very few of us have access to. I think the, the technology that we have at our disposal these days is, you know, second to none. And because of that, I think it's made a lot, a lot of people have access to information that they wouldn't have in the past. So now the pool of quality coaches at the collegiate level, the pool of quality coaches at the high school or youth level, has been expanded because information is so much easier to get your hands on. And those who are intelligent enough to seek, you know, good paths with that information can broaden their horizons and work better with kids. Um, but it, it must be reset, you know, the, the advancement of, of women in the sport, especially women in the coaching profession has been a, a double-edged sword as Brooks so eloquently uh, stated. There's, there's a lot of political, you know, reasons for that, and, and as all things are, but, you know, I, me personally, as the youngest person here, I'm always trying to encourage and are happy to see whenever there are evolutions for positivity in our sport, because I've had the least amount of time to witness any of it. And I think the, the technological stuff is very important to all of that as well. Yeah, you know, I, I'm Clyde, I'm on co-sign with you on the technology side of it. I think that, um, as we discussed last week, you know, I'm not against science and technology like some people think that I am, but um, um, I, I think that the one big thing you touched on there that is big for me is that people seeking information, you know, and, you know, being willing to, to listen, to being willing to learn. Um, we have a lot of people that just like to talk. And in my opinion, if you're talking, you're simply regurgitating things you already know. If you want to get better, you have to take the time, seek out somebody that has the correct knowledge and then be willing to listen and implement the things that they teach you. So I think that that's huge for me. Yeah. For me, the problem is that these entities end up creating their own self-perpetuating industry. For example, the job of a scientist in our sports is to describe what's going on. The job of the coaches in our sport is to prescribe what we should be doing. The problem is that the scientists have gotten out of their lane and into the point where they are prescribing what coaches should do. Now here's the irony of it all. What they are describing are things that coaches are creating the kind of technical uh, uh, um, calisthenics that athletes do, coaches coach that before the scientists ever recognized or discovered it. So now they're going to come back and sell it to us and then tell us how in the hell we should go about doing it. You know, what's funny is that 
we talk about all the things that have evolved, but I would I would stand on the table and shout that I think that the that the overall athlete that we get as they get to college has devolved. I think they are less tough, they are less resilient, they're definitely less open to being coached without, you know, physical examples of why you need to have buy-in as opposed to just trust. And most are not built for the journey that we were built for when we first got to college. Now, a lot of that is because of the cell phone. You know, now if you get on your phone, you can get answers to 99% of the questions that these kids want to ask, want to ask. Where every one of us had to go to a library or we had to ask an elder or we had to just trust. And yes, I know that that's, I sound like a caveman, but, but I will say that having to just trust built you for the journey and it did it stopped you from hopping from coach to coach and from from training regime to training regime and and getting caught up in all the different lanes of technology that are available and and i agree also with that because i think what technology has done what the internet has done it's it's become the seller of the blue pill and you know I have to be careful with this blue pill analogy here, but you guys understand. <laughs> <laughs> Not that blue pill. Yeah, the ma the matrix blue pill. There you go. The blue oh, pill. So everybody's looking for the blue pill. Everybody's looking for the magic potion when there is none. And so you can have an athlete that's being very successful, and then somebody comes up and says, "Hey, you know, I've got this blue pill that'll make you do better than that guy's blue pill, right?" And then now we start jumping coaches. So. You know, again, I, I think that the, the internet, the technology side of it can be wonderful. But like Coach said, the job of the scientist is to describe, not prescribe. And I, you know, you know me, I'll stand up on the rooftop and yell that out. And I think the other issue you have is, is that go get the right information. Um, if you want to know how to coach, you know, um, and I, I'm going to give Coach a shout out right now. I have leaned on Coach a lot in my you know, expanding my knowledge of the hurdles because of the outstanding work he did with David Oliver. And before he told me when David was a 13-3 guy, he was going to run 12-8. And when he ran 12-8, I'm, I'm going to just say it, like you said it, Coach, like you told me you fucked him up, he should have run 12-7, right? <laughs> you know, so if you saw 12-7, then you've seen something that I haven't seen. So that's why I go to you and not the scientists when I'm trying to figure this out. Well, let me, let, me, let me explain to you why it was kind of non-scientific. This guy was a football player. So he comes to us, and what he had was a fantastic desire to win, number one. Number two, getting hit or falling was no big deal for him because that happened to him five or six times a day, five or six times a week. So it was incumbent upon me to find this guy that's got the perfect roadmap psychologically, how the hell are we going to find the roadmap to get him to the podium? So what did we do? We knew we had to change how he went from horizontal to vertical. Well, the best person I saw that was doing that was Blankovacic, the, the, the high jumper. The other person was obviously Stefan Holm, but he was so fast and Oliver was so slow, that didn't, that didn't compute, okay? So the other thing uh, we depended upon was aggression on top of the hurdles. There were two people that are doing it. One is the coach at North Carolina Central, and the other one was Jenny Powell. So 
we copied the takeoff coming from Blaka Vacic, who was a high jumper, and went with the aggression that came from Jenny Powell going over the top of the hurdle. So basically what it comes down to, if you are looking for the most efficient way to get the job done, find a woman that's doing it well, or find some <laughs> little guy that's doing it well. And that's why I credit Harry Mara with being able to work so well with Eaton. He had a very talented guy that was willing to be coached, but Harry Mara was a decathlon, a decathlete himself. He's a little guy. So he had to find the most efficient ways to get the 10 uh, events or eight, eight events done. And he did that. And part of that, he translated and transmitted over to Eaton. The net result is the world record. I like it. So that's, a, that's actually a great segue for our next question. Um, in regards to mentors, we've discussed them quite a few times on the show now um, and spoken to how the importance, their importance is to the development of coaches. Um, who were your mentors up and coming and even until now? Um, and have you had the pleasure and, and the luxury of mentoring anybody or a person? Okay. Well, in women's track and field, there's only one mentor, and that was Ed Temple. But I was really mentored by every coach that kicked my ass. I would go out and find out what this sucker was doing that was better than I was doing. And then I would copy that. Have you been able to mentor anybody? I mean, it, it sounds like you've got Lucius under your belt here. So is there anybody else that's been able to, to gleam any uh, insight off of you? Well, people call and ask random questions or whatever, whatever. And I'm more than happy to, uh, uh, to assist. But Michael and I converse more than anybody else. But that's not because I'm important any new information to him. This nigga goes back to 1976 with me. Okay. I love it. I love so, it. Okay. So I'm not telling him anything new. I'm just reminding him the stuff that he already knows, and that's it. So no, nobody can take credit for what the hell he's doing because he's doing it based on his own knowledge and his own ability to coach. I didn't help him coach uh, John Capel to be number one in the country in the one and the two. I didn't mention his ass then. I'm not mentoring his ass now. <laughs> well, thank you, Coach. I appreciate that. It's on your own island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but 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 I want to tell you this. You know, Coach doesn't give himself enough credit for. Um, he, he, is, he he does mentor me in a lot of ways. He mentors a lot of people in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, Lamar and I talk about this all the time is what we appreciate most about you, Coach, is your honesty. Um, and I tell people all the time, you know, Coach has no problem telling you how he feels. Just make sure you want the truth. And when I want the truth, I pick up the phone and I get my notepad out. Clyde, get your notepad out. <laughs> and, and I take notes. Like, Coach would be like, you still like Coach, I'm trying, I can't write fast enough today, you know, so... Um, yes, he does remind me a lot of, about things that he taught me when I was 17 years old. Um, but the thing that he does, every time we talk, I get off the phone and we've shared something that what you do more for me than anybody else does, you, you spark something in me to make me, you challenge me to go out and get better. You know, 
you know, Grant ran 1298 and you call me, you didn't talk about that. You started talking about 1270 something, you know, and that's what I love about you. That's what I appreciate about you. You're, you're always challenging me to get better. So, and and I, I'll add, I'll add to that um, to, to anybody, you know, out there, like you're never going to be able to learn from people like the legend that is Brooke jo Brooks Johnson. If you're scared of the conversation, if you're intimidated by walking up and speaking to people, is, is everybody in this world going to be willing to talk to you? No, but you, you're not going to find that out until you attempt to do so. And, you know, to Brooks's credit, at least with me, I've never had an, I've never, he's never been closed off to having any kind of conversations with me. And I've always appreciated it. I appreciate his honesty, love him for his bluntness. And if you're, if you're not the sort that can, that can take the punches, then you must not just <laughs> get in <laughs> But, you know, he, he is a, a rare jewel in this world. And if you ever have the opportunity to have a conversation with that man about any damn thing, you better try your best to have it because it's a, it's a rare treat and we all appreciate you both. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that Clyde. Cause I, I think I actually said this to Brooks when we were at the convention in Florida, I said, all these young cats keep walking through the lobby and don't nobody speak. And I don't understand like how, if you like Brooks is sitting there by himself. It's Cause they scared of him. If I was a young person, listen, if I was a young person, I would have I dropped a quarter artfully, hoping that it rolled over by him so I could make up an excuse to go over there to talk to the man, right? Like, look, Brooke, look, Brooks has known me since I was 19 years old. And when I was a student athlete at the opposing school, I asked him a question and he gave me an honest answer. And at the end of the day, we, he has been the same person to me since I was 19 as he is now. And everybody who's afraid, look, look one of my buddies sent me this text message one time and said, if you're, if you're afraid to lose, you weren't built to win. If you're afraid to have conversations with those who are better than you and those who are longer in the tooth than you, then your ass should find something else to do. Because being scared of Brooks Johnson and making that why you didn't get the information makes you dumb. Indeed. So, from my from my perspective, I mean, look, I, look. From my perspective, he's one of the few people in our sport who has always been forthcoming. Has never felt like he had any secrets. If you ask Brooks a question, he will tell you. Right now, I think every one of us has been coaching long enough to know that that sure as hell is not everybody else. Nope. Right. And so, from from a mentor mentee perspective, like. You don't even need to have Brooks as your mentor. You just need to have the balls to go speak to him. Yeah. See, here's the thing. We masturbated my ego enough. Let's move on. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say this one thing <laughs> is that I've, I've learned enough from Coach by just sitting like 10 meters away pretending to do something else when I was younger. You know, I always found a way to make sure I was within earshot to make, you know, to, and that's how you learn. I mean, like, we, and Coach talk, and I talk about this all the time. None, none, of, none of this shit is new. We all stole it from somebody, so, you know. <laughs> so. Well, have any of the three. If you're trying to get your bail, learn how to ear hustle. Yeah. Um, you know, who else were your mentors for the, for the other humans? We haven't really heard much of your guys. For me? From I, I replied yeah. Lucas or Lamar. 
an Episcopalian priest at St. Albans School. <laughs> I was a community organizer in Washington, D.C. back in the 60s when all hell was breaking loose. And there was a school where had the greatest distillation of second generation power in the country because all the congressmen and the senators sent their kids there. So I'm out there at, Saint, at, at, at Adams Morgan organizing these big fat black ladies to go and take over somebody's office. And the first time around, fine. But by the third or fourth time, these women couldn't take that damn Friday afternoon off. So I'm sitting there with me and two or three other of these fat uh, uh, black women. And uh, so the, to make no mistake about it, black women are behind and the essence of every, of every rebellious or civil rights movement. They are the pillar upon which the rest of us try to do stuff. Anyway, so I went up to St. Albans School and I went to the office of this headmaster who was a Episcopalian priest and said, uh, look, man, you got this all white school in what's called Chocolate City and everybody in here uh, look, doesn't look like me. He told me, the easiest thing in the world is to find fault. When you have a when you have a solution, come back and talk to me. Well, the black woman in our community was named Miss Jackson, and so I went back to Miss Jackson. I said, "This is what happened," and she said, "Well, nigga, you're the solution. Take your ass on back up there." So I went on back up there, and I got the damn job. Point being is that I learned a lot from this gentleman. One is, forget about all the complaining and the criticism, et cetera, et cetera. Go, go to the people who have the damn solution. And if you don't have a solution, stop complaining. Because there is a solution out there. The energy you're putting in complaining should be energy you're focusing on finding the damn solution. Let me start to the amen. Thank you so much for all your input. Uh, we appreciate your time. Uh, we will go ahead and let you enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, definitely we'll be seeing you soon. Well, thank you so much. And the thing that really uh, is interesting to me to watch, we have three of the best coaching minds in the sport, young coaching mind in the sport. The thing they have to add is history. Everything else they need to know is there. But you have to have some history. So you know what the hell went before you, so you know when the hell you're going to get in the future. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Coach. Later. Thank you. Oh, Charles. Sir. If I was a good-looking nigga as you, I wouldn't have that shit on my face. I would shave. So now we need a raisin for Clyde. <laughs> Mike. Oh my gosh. Uh, I love it. Oh. <laughs> Good night, Coach. Good night, Coach. I'm out. Oh my gosh. I love okay. it. Oh. <laughs> 
I would have. There is, there is no way that that wasn't <laughs> going to happen one way or the other. No chance. Is- My guess was three. I was like, we're going to get three N words before he gets off this show. Oh. And he only gave me, he only gave me two. And then he jumped back in. Oh wait, Charles. Since we're in the middle, since we're in the middle of light moments, um, I, I would like to officially, you know, congrats to Lamar for his best outfit of the series. I love it. I you know, West Coast, I appreciate you. And the uh, the the ties for Clyde is going well. Uh, not sure if you can see this. I got hurdlers on my tie, and uh, that is courtesy of actually my mother, Miss Gina uh-huh. Ryan. I have no idea how she did this, but this is phenomenal. Love you, mom. Well done, mom. Things well done. That was awesome. Oh my god. Make sure you give mom a standing ovation from us, brother. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Woo. Can we get oh. like a, can we get like a thirty second break? <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually can't. <laughs> Let's get it. I am ready. Well, yes, you are. Your input um, in regards to your uh, mentors. You know, are there any keynote mentors that you have had, or any keynote mentees that you have in, in your wallets here, gentlemen? Um, I mean, I, not not that we haven't talked about before. I don't think. I mean. You know, I, you know, I'm always going to lean on Coach Johnson, um, Ed Stone, my mom. You know, those those are the big ones for me. So, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. Um, you mentioned your mom. I, I always seem to call my dad for perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not always necessary because he don't really know track like that. But he can always seem to be able to give me perspective on things. And... Um, that's that has been invaluable to be honest um as far as like mentors in the sport i mean we heck, we've, i think we've talked about them all or they've been on the show i mean george williams brooks johnson miles holloway um uh what's my, what's wrong with me um he was the athletic director at arizona state wow that's terrible herman frazier herman frazier thank you you're welcome uh, the, all of these people have been you know They've been very influential in my life, at least. Just if for no other reason, they grab me and says, "Hey, if you're smart. If you're going to coach, you know, you have to impart who you are and what you are into these people. Um, be accountable to yourself and to young people. Um, always be there if you if you're going to take on a young person in your life. Always be there for them. Um, and I've just kind of lived by those things. And and you 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 add that to the fact that I was raised by my grandfather, who was a child of depression, who said. To me, very simply, when I was eight years old, I don't care what you choose to do in your life. You need to try to win awards at doing it. And every day that you work needs to be an honest day's work for an honest day's wage, no matter what that wage is. You should never work harder for a job that you make more money for or less money for, because at the end of the day, you should work as hard as you can every day. Well said. Um, Lamar used a good word there, perspective. Um, we have definitely covered the issue of mentors here, um, but rethinking about that question, the, the perspective that I have with that is have been given to me, I should say, is actually the kids. I've learned more from my athletes than they've learned from me. And I know that 
internally. And I'd be here for an hour going kid by kid, but at every place I've been from the high school kids that I used to work with in, in the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, to Louisiana Tech, Alabama State Academy of Art, and my new my new, my new youngins even in the in the COVID half year of Cal Berkeley, I have learned infinitely about myself um, as a man, as a coach, and gotten better at my profession because of the young people that I get to work with every day. And so, you know, to all of them, you know, that that those have definitely had major influence on me and mentored me in ways that they don't even remotely comprehend. And I, I want to say something that Lamar and I talked about the other day. Um, my children, um, Michael and Michelle, you know, we, we, we had a conversation about Z the other day. It was like, what happened to that little eight-year-old? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, and all of a sudden, he's a, this is 21-year-old, you know, at least he thinks he's grown man, right? So <laughs> it's like they just, and then some of their perspectives and the things they say, you kind of walk away going, wow, you know? Uh, and, and so you're right, Clyde, you know, the, the youngsters can definitely teach you more than you realize. They can. You know, it's funny. We talk about, about young people. I, when all of this Black Lives Matters things kind of finally started to bubble up, I put out a tweet that says, you know, if you pay attention to seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they'll tell you how to act. Yeah, they will. Because they play with kids. They play with kids, and they, they, they play with kids whether they're black, white, green, or purple. They play with kids because they like them or they don't like them. And at the end of the day, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of listening, growing, and things of that nature, um you know, in regards to the African-American coaches that are in the coaching track and field coaching industry, um, do we have any thoughts or concerns in regards to the plight of them? How, how this path is and, and where it's going? I, I have a lot of concern um, to this particular uh, point within our profession. And honestly, it's because uh, there's a, a, a million different reasons why this could be, but the specific timing of the moment, the majority of our African-American coaches in our profession are working in the small schools. And the, the dysfunction that the pandemic has unleashed within the world of college athletics is going to put a lot of those people's livelihoods in peril. And the fact that they are not yet in the more protected positions that many of them should be in, um, it is going to be very threatening uh, to, to their future. And so in the current standing of, of what we all do for a living, I, I actually worry about that a lot uh, for my friends, for my colleagues. And I, and I do realize how uh, privileged I am to currently be working where I work, where I work. So, you know, that, that's something that, that, that gets to me a lot. Um, and the other, to tie it back to the former conversation, I don't think we as African-American coaches do nearly a good enough job that we could be doing with the issue of mentorship and promoting our own and make and taking care of our people. I don't, I don't think we do as good a job as that as our, as our counterparts in the profession. And that's something again, that has always worried me, bothered me. And I know we could evolve and do a better job at all of that. So if, if you're talking about the concern that I have for the plight of African-American coaches, men and women, 
in our profession, those are my two big ones. Um, I'm going to piggyback off of Clyde a little bit. Um, I, I totally agree, Clyde. I think that you know, for me, there's this, there's this wealth of talent out there, and it's at the smaller schools. It's at the HBCUs. Um, and the problem you have is most of them will never get a chance, and not for any other reason than the, the letters they have on their shirt. You know, they're denied um, athletes won't go to the schools because the schools are too small or because it's an HBCU. Um, they're not going to get the chance to get the jobs. You know, um, we've all, you know, heard 80s. I shouldn't say all people, but, you know, I've heard the talk that 80s want to win the press conference. So they're more likely to take a, a coach from a smaller Division One or an assistant coach in another autonomy five or group of five school versus taking someone from HBCU because they're more concerned with winning the press conference than they are with the versus actual skill set. And that's, that's a sad state. It really is. And, you know, like Clyde, you know, I am very concerned about the number of people that could possibly lose their jobs. They could, you know, that are very good coaches that have an incredible skill set. And um, if you look at some of the great coaching jobs that have been done around the country from those people, with a lot less resources than some of us have, it's absolutely incredible. And so I think that, you know, and this is just not for African-Americans, women are affected by this, um, you know, of all races, because can a woman do the job? Well, it's been proven that if they're given the chance, they can do it, but you gotta be willing to give them the chance. And so, you know, that those are the things, the plights that I think they face. And I think that the biggest thing we have to understand is, you almost have to be overly qualified to get a great job, you know, sometimes. In, in, in the current climate, you almost have to be overqualified. Uh, I mean, just to jump straight in from where you left off, Lucius, I mean, that, that's always been the case. Like, you're never allowed to be good if you are uh, of African-American descent. You, you almost always have to be great, and that's almost in any industry. Um, you're not allowed to be, like, you know, 15th out of the top 30. Like, you got to be top four in the country. Um, before anybody pays any attention. But uh, I definitely have some concerns, and I think some of the concerns are, uh, they're very deep-rooted for me, I guess. But um, one of the bigger concerns is there are very few people who are African-American who are in charge of hiring and firing of head coaches by at, at Power 5 schools. Because for the most part, that's what we're talking about. There are very few administrators that, that, that look like me. Um, and that's... That is a problem because, I mean, it, it leads to my next issue, which is I don't think that African-American coaches do a great job of uh, – one of my buddies always says black people got to have white friends. Um, and, and I don't think that we necessarily do a great job of, you know, kibitzing with, with coaches that are outside of our event group area and outside of our cultural area. And why is that problematic? Because if, if you're a sprint coach and you're black and you only hang out with black sprint coaches, if you do, if you are ever blessed to be a head coach, who are you gonna hire? Because you don't know anyone else in the industry and you have five positions to hire. And, and if you don't have aspirations to ever be a head coach, then fine. But if you do have aspirations to be a head coach, then I think you should, A, spend some time around people of multiple cultures, 
B, you should probably spend some time around other head coaches other than just yours so you can get some other perspectives. But I think one of my bigger concerns for, for the young African-American coaches in the business is it's what we were talking about with Brooks. I think a lot of them are afraid to reach out. They think, look, I'll, I'll use someone on this panel. I have pushed Lucius out of his comfort zone a great deal in the last six months and have made people in this country understand that he is far more approachable than they thought he was. But I've never understood the fact that people thought he wasn't approachable, right? If you don't go up and speak to someone, you then you can't then condemn them and say that they're, un, they're unapproachable. And I think a great deal of young African-American coaches in this business either don't know that they should talk to these people or are afraid to talk to these people. And at the end of the day, look, if you don't learn from history, if you don't, I mean, what did, what did Coach Johnson just say? Like, if you don't have some history to you, then you're bound to repeat it. Like, you, you have to speak to those who've been where you're trying to get to so that you have a general idea of, you know, what kind of advancements you need to make personal. And, and I want to speak to something that, you know, maybe maybe nobody else wants to speak to, but let's, let's just keep this, like we do, as y'all young folks like to say, let's keep this 100. A big part of the problem we have as African-American coaches is that we have no freaking loyalty to one another. Zero. None. And I'm not going to say that 100% across the board, but, you know, the things that we do to one another, the things that we don't want each other to have is amazing to me. It's not okay for you to be successful and me to be successful. Also, I have to be more successful than you. And this is a success to go around for everybody. We have spent more time backstabbing back grabbing, back biting, whatever you want to call it, one another, for no reason, you know? You know, I, I would just like to see, is, is um, Clyde loves to talk about this, is that, you know, supporting your assistant coaches to get better jobs, you know, supporting other assistant coaches from other staffs to get better jobs. You know, we don't do a very good job of that. You know, we don't do a very good job. And this is, this is some of the older folks in the business. You know, because the, 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 the young guys are going to learn from the young folks. I mean, the, the, the young guys are going to learn from the old folks. So if, if the older guys don't get their stuff together, then it's going to continue over and over again. And at some point in time, it's got to stop. You know, if we want to be successful as African-American coaches, then we at some point better band together. And if you're an older guy, and I do this, I see a young guy messing up, I grab him by the collar and go, stop. That's wrong. But most people don't do that. They just let them go and make the mistake. And then they laugh at them and say, oh, you messed up. And that's not how you get better. If you see somebody doing well and somebody starts bad-mouthing them, shut them down. You know, celebrate that guy's success. Because understand this, just keep it real. If we're talking about real plights here. As an African-American coach, if you don't do a good job at a power five or a group of five school, not only did you get fired, but you just lessened the likelihood that another African-American gets a chance. So when you stand up and you support the other African-American that's standing next to you, then everybody wins. But if we continue to tear each other down, then we're all going to continue to lose. I, I, I think that reality 
I know that reality exists within our culture at levels that it just doesn't happen in other cultures. And I, I don't, I don't get it. Well, let's say I, I don't, I don't get it in 2020. Like maybe back, you know, wherever else, maybe there, maybe the culture was, oh my God, I've got myself into this position. Shut up. I'm not helping anything. I need to keep my head down and to hell with everybody else. Maybe at one time that was the, the, the playbook. Maybe it had to be, but it doesn't have to be today. And we spend so much time doing damage to ourselves and other people notice that. Like I've never, I've never gone to a meet and seen an abundance of white coaches or even, an, or, I mean, there's not a lot of, you know, Mexican American or Asian American coaches. I've never gone to a meet and seen Clyde, an abundance of white coaches. Can I interrupt you for one second, Clive? Stop yeah. being politically correct and speak your mind. No, I'm, I'm just saying, I've, I've, never, I've never gone to a meet and, and seen a, an abundance of, of white coaches sitting around trashing each other. Like, I haven't seen that. I, I don't, I haven't seen it in any, in any realm, but I see it at every meet I go to amongst ourselves, in little pockets, in little, in little groups. And, it, and you know, the, the, the bigger the meet, the the harder the vitriol is that you know what I mean and and I've I've never I've just never really understood the the why behind that and let me be clear there are some things in this business just like any business that are reprehensible and I don't have any problem you know with the you know calling out things that are reprehensible but that's not what's happening it's little things it's you know rumors it's jealousy it's petty gossip it's it's the stuff that you put out there in the ether and then you know six degrees of separation it gets repeated it gets repeated it gets repeated and then this person's name is now in the ether in front of people that actually do matter in front of people that are going to be in the position to put you in the next seat and that's not cool and we do that at a disproportional rate versus anybody else and i don't really get that I know this much, if it doesn't stop, there aren't gonna be very many black coaches in track and field. Because the the older generation is leaving the sport relatively rapidly. Um, and that middle generation that's, you know, Mouse's age to my age, where we're at is I'm down to help. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like hold a banquet to invite all young black coaches to come hear from me, right? If you want the information, reach out, speak out, and you'll get it. But I think where where that middle age, which is now ascending to the elder statesman, because I feel like I went to sleep young and woke up as an old head, but that you know our generation is kind of at the point where like we're tired of beating people across the head like hey stop doing that and don't do that this way now it's kind of like look you want this help i'll be happy to help you but and and, and and let me let me let me add to this because like i said there's positive and negative to this particular topic but there's one really big positive going on right now that deserves attention respect admiration and people if you're not aware of it we need to capitalize on these kind of moments out west there are seven of the teams in the Pac-12 
being ran by an African-American male or female. Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal, and Oregon are all under the direction of African-American bosses. And that is a phenomenal moment for all of us. And so there are paths, there are paths there. And these things can continue to get better or we can continue to screw them up through doing things that shouldn't be done. Like these people have made it through the gauntlet, they run their mission and they're in a position you know, that most people don't get in. And it's all happening at one time in our conference. And I'm proud to be, you know, working under one of them, which is obviously Robin Johnson. But it's a, it's just a cool time to be out west. It's a cool time to be in the Pac-12. And all of this has turned over within the last two or three years. So I'm excited to see, you know, what, what the fruits of that are going to be. And, and to that same point, there, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to read them all because I'll miss somebody, but there's at least six in the SEC. And mm -hmm. here's the big one. Two of them are in Mississippi. Mississippi, Mississippi. Yes. That's, that's big. That's very big. You know, kudos to Chris and, uh, and my girl, Church Lady Connie. Big kudos to them. They're both doing a great job. Great job. And so but we need to support them. We need to, you know, push them forward, not pull them down. And that's, that's my problem. We need to celebrate their success. Look, look I'm good with, with losing to someone that's doing a great job, you know. You know, I, I have no problem with them beating me because this is going to make me work hard. Not going to make me go back in and bad mouth. And, and no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm going to go work harder, and that's what we should all do. And we should. And, and like you know, Clyde, you made a tremendous point. You know, you know <laughs> I, I've got you know a, a white coach that's a, a good. He's a good friend of mine. I won't call his name because everybody knows him. But there was a discussion about another white coach. He never said a word. Later on in, in said coach's presence, he told the coach to his face, you know, I don't like your ass anyway. He told the guy. Now, that's the other way around. The African-American coach badmouths the guy behind his back, and in his face, he's smiling at him. There's your difference right there. Indy? Uh, I want to I say this, though, because I, I think this needs to be said. Look, I'm going to challenge all of the young African-American coaches to do your damn job. And the reason I say do your damn job and be happy where you're at doing your damn job is because it's your job to be good enough so that when the person in the job you want gets a head job or moves on someplace else, that African-American coach can hire your ass because you're good enough to do the job. But if you're busy where you're at complaining and not grinding and not getting better and not, to, and, and not making yourself available, as a viable option, right? Then when somebody else gets tired, then you want to claim the race card. Like, no, your ass ain't no good because you don't want to get in, you don't want to roll your sleeves up and get cranky. Look, I'm going to give you a best example I can think of. John Ellis. John Ellis went to Azusa Pacific. That is not a Division I school. And he has had a lot of unsexy jobs. And he was at Southern Miss. And he went from Southern Miss to ASU and is running the jumps program. Why? Because he made himself known as somebody who would work hard, keep his nose clean, and coach the crap out of his kids. So, you know, look, do I know that there are inequities and it's very tough to, to come out of an HBCU or be a female and get – look, we, we got we to gotta fix those problems too. I'll be the first one to say it. But, but, but the challenge I have to young African-American coaches, males and females, is do your damn job. Be good at your job. Make your presence loud. 
in a positive way so that when somebody calls Lucius, let's be clear, every time there is a job, (laughs) someone calls Lucius. So when they call Lucius, Lucius can say, yeah, young so-and-so has been grinding. You know, they haven't had a chance at the better athletes, but everything they got seems to be far better than they were. And I had a conversation with this young man or young woman, and they're very well-spoken. And I, you know what? Give them a chance. There's your blueprint. If you watch this episode and then after the episode you say, I don't learn anything from this show, you're a liar or you're just not paying attention because I just gave you as good, as big a pearl as I can ever give to someone young in, in this industry, which is do your job at a very high level. I don't think they have to be young, just, just to give that verbiage a little. <laughs> young, young or old, maybe they got smoking. These are fair. Got a job, do your job. Do your job. Do your You've got job. one job, do it. Exactly. Do it. <laughs> All right, well, let's address that uh, hot topic right now via the internet, via Facebook. So what are our philosophies for the setup and the considerations that we take for the setup for the four by one? It's uh, oh, it, <laughs> Okay, so like, you know, th- th- this is, I mean, wow. First of all, let, let's just start with it's called the four by one. Okay, let's just start right there. It's not Please. called the three <laughs> by one thirty and whatever's left over. Oh my god! It's not. It's not called the whatever. It's the four by one. Okay, one, one of one of the biggest fallacies that I can never understand is what's the long leg of the four by one? <laughs> there is no long leg. It's the four by one. So how's there a long leg? Hey, but that hundred is longer than the other hundred. It's impossible to be longer. <laughs> you, you, you listen. Y- y'all are the older people around here. Can y'all tell me where that came from? Because no, I, no, no, I, was, I, was, I have no idea. And wherever it came from, it needs to stop. I've heard very intelligent coaches who I respect call that the long leg, and I don't know. I don't. I just don't get it, and nobody can explain it to me. You know, listen, you listen. announcers say it on television. Ooh. It's just the craziest thing ever. So oh, let me yeah. let me delve into this for you big league because obviously this is something like this is one this, this is like I love the four by one. Okay. And people totally screw it up. So like Lamar, let me attempt to educate folks. All right. Okay, so for those for those wait, of you wait, get your notepad. So get okay. your notepad. For those of you who are of the opinion that the guy going out should get the baton as soon as he can. All right. So we're just going to take the leadoff man. When the leadoff man gets to now said zone because of the debacle, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be nice. Okay. So he, he, is at, he is at 80 meters, right? He's 80 meters. So do you really think that the outgoing guy, is, we're going to put him five meters into that zone, you think the guy at five meters is going faster than the guy at 80 meters? Or in this case now, 85? I mean, that's just common sense. The longer the guy coming in keeps the stick, the longer the other guy gets to accelerate, the better you're gonna run. 
So let's get, let's take the stick. Okay, I don't care if this dude's 11 flat and this dude's 10 flat. This dude is faster at 90 than this dude is at 10. It's just common sense. So y'all keep trying to run 130 and keep trying to 180 and keep screwing it up. Make every effort that you can to have everybody on your team carry the baton for 100 meters. Now, personally, I, I'm greedy. I try to get to 101. And obviously, the anchor man ain't going to carry 101. He's going to go carry it 99. Okay? And that's fine. Right. That's fine. But the end of the day, stop with the idiocy. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And people are defending it. Like their lives depend on it. Stop it. This There's is no such thing. This is what happens. This, this is what happens when our sport tries to fix things that aren't broken. I don't know why the people who make decisions sat down and said, you know what? We need to make the exchange zone 10 meters longer. There was nothing wrong with it in the first place. But if you're going to make it 10 meters longer, you don't make it 10 meters longer from zero to 10. That doesn't help anything. anything. But what it did do is give a whole bunch of people who think they're smarter than they are space and opportunity to be like, ooh, I can take them extra 10 meters and I can do something with it. No, you can't. Only except make your team worse. And the worst part of it is, where is that idea mostly being played with? At the lower levels. Because, you know, at the lower level, you might have a kid who's 10-5 and the rest of your team is 11-5. So you think Mr. 10-5 can run from 20 meters behind the 100 to 10 meters ahead of it? And there's my 140 or whatever the hell it is? Stop. It makes no sense at all. Just, just for the record, if he runs 140, Vuitton's going to be out the zone because the other guy's going to be out of the zone. I'm just saying. I, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I've had this conversation so many times and I, I legitimately do not understand the idea of it. I don't care who you are, how fast or slow you are, it takes you at least more than 10 meters to get up to full speed. So if it does, in what world would it make sense for my best person to get the stick after he took two steps? It's just dumb. The, people, Thank you. <laughs> like people, stop looking at the four by one as a collection of four humans. You're timing the speed of the baton. The baton can't slow down. If you look at it as the baton can't slow down, then this should crystallize for you very easily. How can I marriage my two people to, so the baton doesn't have to be interrupted. That's the whole goal. And that's never going to happen from zero to 10 meters. See, I don't care who's on the Somebody's going to come and tell you that the baton can still flow if they get it earlier. So be careful. What? I'm just saying, look, I'm just, I think they, they're going to say it and you're going to blow them up, but they're going to say it to you. Okay. Listen. So, and, and, so, okay. So, so let, let's, let's, let's take this to the, to, to the scientist out there, right? Okay. Uh, I, 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 there's no, the, the, there's no the, one the, in the science the, world. Right. Okay. But, no, but, but that's okay. But, but let's say this, let's just take it so they understand it. Better. Okay. The old acceleration zone was 10 meters. Yes. Right. So now we're 10 meters to get up to speed. Right. So now if you go to the middle zone, you're 20 meters, right? Yes. So isn't the key to, to let that person accelerate as long as they can? 
Yep. <laughs> the outgoing person is now faster at 20 meters than he was at two, <laughs> right? Which is where you wanted to get it. You're going to get him killed. Right. Right. But it's just common sense. It's the and four, five, one hundred relay. And and if I can add one more thing, if I, if I can add one more thing, and I, I'm, it's funny, but I'm so serious about this. Elite athletes, people who put on the put on the uh, you know the flags and stand on the podiums. If no one taught you this stuff in high school, or Lord forgive you in college. That's not your fault, but you're grown now and you get microphones in your face. Stop saying that stupid shit on camera. You're ruining children with that. I can't tell you how many kids have come up to me and be like, but I saw so-and-so, they said it on TV. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. It was bad. It was dumb advice, just like the people that say, oh, I just, you know, I just ran 10, 8, and 100. We ain't even done speed work. Shut up. Yes, you have. If you don't understand it, go talk to some people, but you have. So the, the messaging comes from the top and gets filtered down to the younger people, and it's, it's ridiculous. It's patently ridiculous. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead, uh, Loves Cal. You, you haven't spoken on this yet. I'm sorry. You know, hey, let's, let's impart some science. Let's, just, let's do some numbers <laughs> so that the people will understand. Uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, okay? The velocities at 60 meters are, are the, at 40 meters are the same as at 100 meters. I believe so, so yes. You're coming down to 100, you're going up from at 40, but the numbers, the velocities you're moving at 40 and 100 are the same. Right. Okay. Those numbers are important. If I start you at the beginning of the acceleration zone, if I run you out of the zone, the entire zone, that's 30 meters, right? Yes. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. So if I just use the simple math, if you're coming in at 100 meters, you would be 20 meters into said person's acceleration. Am I right? Mm -hmm. So it is mathematically impossible for Captain 20 meters to be matching the velocity of <laughs> Captain 100 meters, right? Absolutely. I just want to make sure I got the math right. Yeah, you know. So, so this whole dance is being a DJ and figuring out how to, how to, as smoothly as possible, blend two beats. One that is going faster and one that is going slower, but accelerating and will eventually be ple pleasing to the ear and match the first beat that you heard. But when I blend these two musics, when I blend these two musics, they are not going the same speed, right? Am I correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the closest we could get them to being the same speed would be right around 20 meters. Because from 20 to 30, Captain 20 meters is accelerating. And from now 100 to 110, Captain 100 meters is decelerating. And now you have the incoming train going slower and the outgoing train going faster. That is a train wreck. So the simple math, if I just use the equations and the numbers we just worked out is 
somewhere around 100 meters is the correct meshing point. Hence the term being the four by <laughs> 100 meters. Let the church say amen, amen. tabernacle. Amen. Tell the Lord thank you. Say amen. I do okay. not understand any other math that is being equated because it don't make no damn sense. And so before someone posts on any social media site an explanation as to why the second leg is longer, let me save you from yourself. <laughs> if simple math, if everybody runs from their starting point to the middle of said zone, as we have been discussing, the leadoff man runs 100 meters. Everybody else is going to run 120 meters total, right? Mm -hmm. Where's the long leg? Not possible. Not possible. Because if I saw today, you could have a guy run a 130, okay? If that cat has a, okay, first of all, he's going to get, <laughs> he or she has got to take at least two or three steps for to get the dag on the top. So they're going to say they're five meters into the big 30 meter zone now, right? Right? So they're going to run out of the back side of the zone if they carry the stick 130 meters. Right. They're, Not they're, they're five meters that outside of the zone. Everybody is slower at 130 than they were at 100. Exactly. But everyone. But, but the thing is this no matter what leg you are, if you run 130 meters with the baton, you're going to be out of the zone. These are facts. So, y'all keep, like I said, y'all keep, y'all keep on. Not, not to mention, not to mention attempting to pull off such a ridiculous idea is extremely dangerous. You're going to get somebody killed. Yes. The person waiting on the baton if you want to have it from zero to five so they can run longer, you're going to get them killed. Curb like, stomped. It, it, it's a ridiculous notion. It makes absolutely no sense. And since we are all copycats in this world, <laughs> all, all I can, all I will say, because, you know, you know we, we gave a lot of examples and maybe, maybe some of that is, is, you know, too difficult for some folks. Just, Go find me a professional race or a collegiate race that you think someone ran fast in and you show me a zero to 10 handoff on tape and we can have a conversation, but it doesn't exist. So just stop, stop. You, you just take, take the race that caused the, the, the rule change. <laughs> which, which, oh my you God, fast. I'm not even, I'm not even sure how yeah. that actually got done, right. but it didn't end well. No, that's my point. It didn't end well at all. See, 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 again, for me, you just made an incredible point. Go back and watch the best four by ones ever. Okay? Mm -hmm. The exchanges happen in the middle of the zone. And, mo and a lot of them happen five Late. years past. Yes, late. Okay? late. We, we, we've all marveled. The best four by one I've ever watched in my life was the 4082. I don't know done for me okay and i still say the magic of that was bianca knight pulling allison through the daggum zone 
Yes. That was did it for me. I got that was the one of three passes that were perfect. Yeah. Just right. one. Right. Because that, but that was that was the best one because she yeah. pulled her like she pulled her and she just kept going. And the beauty of that was Allison kept trying to run her over. You know, that that was yeah. that was textbook. And so that's the that's the magic of it. Go watch the people that have been doing it forever. Nobody exchanges the baton. Like, I'm, I'm, I look, I'm not gonna say the school, most people know who they are. Okay. Two of the better four by one schools to ever do it are they run out the zone a lot. And I'm not talking yeah. about the gators, so stop. <laughs> These other two schools run out of the zone a lot. Because they because they, they're just trying to get going. They're trying to accelerate through the zone. I, yeah. I, I mean, we we had him on the show just recently. Vince Anderson will tell you. Vince Anderson will tell you, I want them to run out the zone during the season, just mm-hmm. just not you know when the championships on the line. But running out the zone during the season is how you learn to accelerate all the way through. I, tell I would much yeah. rather have you run out of the zone, like you know we talked about the you know our record relay last year. And a big part of the reason why that happened was because Ryan almost ran out of the zone with Grant three times before they got it right. Three different meets. Okay? And each time I was like, we're going to be fine. We're going to figure it out. But I'd much rather Grant have a hard time catching him than Grant run him over. Yes. Yes. Like you said, I, I t- time the zone. Time the stick through the zone. Because if you watch the week, there's no – Japan should never – be that close to us in four hour. But they are because they, they, <laughs> they, they fly through that day and come zone, boy. Yeah? Yes. Zone. And, and, and the second leg ain't running longer than everybody else. I'm, I'm going I'm to keep up. That, that, just, that bothers me more than anything. You know, this Stop somebody, somebody had to run 80 meters. I don't know how that's possible. I don't. Well, it's possible. They just give them the baton before, <laughs> before they do anything else. It's try the color change. There you go. It, it would literally have to be a standing start. Yeah, it would. Someone's coming in full speed, and you want your kid to stand there. <laughs> like, that, that, person, that person better stop and give it to him. They're going to run him over, right? <laughs> right. I think, that, like, like, based on this, this silliness, the best handoff exchange would be if the incoming runner handed the baton to the outgoing runner from the front, like a handoff. Because you're going to get Yeah, you have them. to run by him. Right? Go past him and be like, hey, come get this. <laughs> See, now I shouldn't even make jokes like that. I, see, I was just going to say, say yeah. Now someone's going to do it. Gonna, somebody, it, it's going, it's going, you're going to see it. So this is our it's edit. COVID season. Ooh, Try it out. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that was our edit. That just came out. <laughs> apologize for that, Lamar. Apologize. Don't, don't, don't do that. Please. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so let, let's turn the tables a little bit, talking about music and beats. Um. How do we feel about the return of professional sports? And I'm, I'm going to give some examples of what I'm talking about. We've got not non-spectators. There are no spectator sports right now. We are all watching them via our screen. Um, we've got isolated competitions where you know either people don't know, hence track and field, or people are not invited to track and field, NBA, baseball, to observe and you know have different levels of participation um or we can go the ufc route where it's all paid uh paid to view and you know some of that track and field as well and there are other sports that i I haven't mentioned but the big ones right now that are getting 
sports center in ESPN more often than not. Um, how are we feeling about majors and the things that are included in all of this? Well, I, I think that when you, when you look at it from the monetization standpoint, um, track the field is the one to get screwed um, because those are the people that really, most of them can't afford said prices. Um, and we're not getting on, you know, like you think about USA Tractor Field is the governing body of our sport, but we're charging people to watch the, our sport, right? Um, I think that if we're trying to get our sport more exposure, then that should be a free service to anybody that's a USA Tractor Field member, you know? I have nothing against Flow Track. I think Flow Track's done a phenomenal job of, of you know, getting the sport out there at times, but then it also times when they give restricted access as well. So in a sport that we're trying to make more popular, we're now going to the other end of it and saying, okay, we want to make you more popular, but I want you to pay for it, right? And I just, I, that's my issue, that we're restricting access to people that can't afford these services, and therefore we're restricting access to the sport that I love. And I just think that there's got to be a better way because we're not getting on ESPN every weekend. We're not getting on, you know, any of those sites. And so I think that if these, if there's a way to do it without the cost, I think it's a great idea. Um, I, as far as the other professional sports, kudos to those cats. As long as they can stay safe and play, I'm all for it because maybe that'll keep people from being as bored as they are and doing some of the crazy things that are going on in the world right now. Well, you know, it's funny that uh, that you mentioned not going to be on ESPN. That, to me, is where track and field has missed the boat. People in this country have been absolutely bored out of their minds and are, I don't want to use the, the D word because there are people who are dying, but they have been clamoring for live sports. Look, I have watched uh, – What's the beanbag throwing? What's that called? I've watched cornhole championships. Are you kidding me right now? It's on. (laughs) That don't mean you gotta watch it. Me and my seven-year-old. Okay, okay. Oh, so now you leave my godchild out of this. I, you are not blaming me. All I'm saying (laughs) is, me, me, and my seven-year-old have watched bull riding, and we root for the bull. But at the end of the day. Absolutely, we do. For sure. Oh, I know he does. I know for sure he does. For sure. <laughs> but, but here's my point. We have a sport that easily can <coughs> and social distance. Easily. This is not difficult, right? We have an opportunity to come to Mr. ESPN. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, we have content that can fill your airways with live things. But we don't have the leadership in the sport to figure that out. Are you serious? Instead, you would you want to charge you know whatever ninety nine to the track and field fans, all eleven of them. Like, how stupid is this? You have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to grow the sport in this country, and rather than do that, you take the insanely myopic approach to charge the few fans that you currently have to watch track meets. I, I cannot tell you how far track and field has missed the boat. Look, baseball has now started. Basketball starts next week. And as long as they can figure out how people don't die, football is going to start and go on time. 
we, the sport of track and field, have absolutely missed the boat on this one because there was a window where track and field could have been put on really, really large platforms because people were anxious to see actual live sporting events of any kind. But now we're watching on, on you know, uh, YouTube bootlegs and whatever other clips we get of so-and-so running fast. Mind you, we've had some pretty phenomenal performances in this truncated season, right? But who knows about it? Yeah, the four of us, because we're all track people. Guess what? Guess who doesn't know? My mom, who's not a track fan. Uh, any of my neighbors who are not, not track fans. But you know what they all know? Major League Baseball started yesterday. And they don't have fans. And, and what have they done? They've put one, – one team had virtual fans, so they had holograms moving. If you're not paying attention, you don't realize that those aren't real people. And several teams have cardboard cutouts, and they're doing a thing where if the ball gets hit, foul ball or home run, it, gets, it hits your cardboard cutout, that you get the ball and it's autographed. They're doing all these creative things with this opportunity. But our wonderful sport of track and field and all of its glorious leadership has managed to figure out how to, once again, I'm not going to say any of the flowery things I want to say right now. I'll just say that we missed the boat and had an opportunity to grow the sport that I believe has now passed us by. Huh. Okay. Uh, uh. All right, I'm going to try to get through this and uh, contain my, my vitriol. Look, look, look at me. Look, Lamar, brought up, Lamar brought up Major League Baseball. And in the past couple years, the fact of the matter is in American sports, Major League Baseball used to be the number one thing we had, and it has fallen far from that distinction. You could argue it's less popular than hockey now. Soccer's on the rise, right? The Major League Baseball negotiations that prevented the season from starting when it could have. If you watch ESPN, if you watch the baseball people, everybody was upset about that. And they said, baseball missed an opportunity. They could have owned the airwaves by themselves. <laughs> and that is absolutely true. And they fumbled it. But that's okay because they're a billion-dollar-plus organization and they're going to live. To Lamar's point, our sport has absolutely, absolutely fumbled this opportunity because we can appropriately, under the guise of social distancing, compete well, compete safely. And given that this was supposed to be an Olympic year, more people would have been open to paying attention than otherwise would have. Once the information that the Olympics was going to actually be postponed, we should have been rushing to find a way to get our people on TV, to tell our stories, build our narratives, and introduce our phenomenal athletes to the world that ultimately doesn't pay attention to. We need Dana White. That's what we need. Dana White said, hell with this. I'm going to go to again. Dubai. I'm going to go to Say Dubai. Again. And I'm going to have Fight Island. And I'm going to do it first. And we're going to figure it out. And we're going to do it safely, health, in a healthy manner. And I've seen more UFC on TV than ever before because Dana White had the vision to figure out how to get it done. Now, to, to the other two gentlemen's point, I absolutely agree with the whole making people pay 
to, to, to watch the meets, especially right now. That's ridiculous. But the thing that's really irritating me right now is something that I feel is a lot more sinister. And I don't actually understand the full dynamic of it, but here's what I do know. Here's the part that's irritating me. Here's the part that doesn't make any sense. Down in Atlanta, Florida, and Houston, Texas, we have had organizers of meets putting together a series of domestic events that have been advertised. Yeah, they could be advertised better, but they put them out there. If you're in the track world, you knew that the ATL track series was going to happen. It, you knew that USA Track and Field had co-signed the Prairie View meets um, host, hosted um, in, in Waller, Texas. Everyone knows about the, the little series that goes on every year in the summer down in, uh, down in Claremont. But somehow, for some kind of weird reason, in Dallas, Texas, there was a secret meet, a secret series that pretty much only Nike athletes knew about. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't put on TV. And 98% of it was people flying to Texas to jog events. That's not professional. It's not a good look. So the question immediately goes to, well, why would they do that? Why would the who's who of the Nike athletes have to come to Dallas to jog down a track somewhere? And it starts to, you start to ask the questions and you're trying to figure out why. Well, apparently it has something to do with their contractual obligations. But all the Nike athletes weren't there. So I'm trying to figure out why, if there are contractual obligations that Nike is going to behold their athletes to during a freaking pandemic, why is not everyone on the Nike roster alerted to this fact? If USA Track and Field is co-signing the meet to make it legal to do, why is USA Track and Field not alerting all the athletes to this thing that's going on down there? I get emails every day from USA Track and Field, mostly about stuff that is monotonous and irrelevant. I get the newsletter every week, but I didn't know that Dallas, Texas was hosting a meet specifically for Nike people. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I don't understand the why behind it. It feels very sinister. It feels very wrong. And it's damn sure unprofessional, because if you look at the results, aside from Michael Norman and Ryan Benjamin getting out there and trying to run a legitimate 100 meters and impressing the hell out of all of us, nothing else that went down there was very legitimate at all the first time. The second time, the young lady, uh, Miss Richardson, goes out there and runs a, a windy 10-7. Very impressive. But the rest of the stuff that was going on in there, nobody was trying to run. So I'm trying to understand, not only are we screwing this up from an opportunity to be on television and tell our stories, Trayvon Bramell <laughs> is on what might be the comeback of the century in our sport. And only track nerds know about it because no one's covering these events. They're not on national television. That dude has been through hell and back, had to change coaches, and went out there and ran a legitimate 9-9-0 just a few days ago. And most likely has put himself in a position. When, a couple years ago, the whole story in, the, in track and field was going to be about Bromel versus the grads. How is that going to pan out in the future? Are they the ones to replace both? And then they had some lows in their career, and Trayvon almost lost his to, to injury. Now not only are they both back, 
they're being trained in the same camp and no one's watching what's going on down there. It's a hell of a story. It's a fantastic narrative and no one's paying attention, but some people in our sport are holding secret meets and not letting everybody know. I, I just wanna, like, I can't, the, the unprofessionalism of how this summer is being handled blows my mind. And I, I just, I'm so frustrated by it. I really am. How do you really feel about that? It, listen, let, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how far, I'm trying to figure out, figure out how far down the rabbit hole of madness this really is. Cause I feel like I have legitimate reason to be more mad than I even am, but I don't know that yet. And I don't like to speak to things that I don't know. Facts well, I, I, okay. All I will tell you is what I know about the meat. And that what I do know is that it was set up so that people, each event was classified as a, as a meet. So therefore, if you ran eight times over those two days, you got eight meets in. So therefore you met your contract contract requirements. I cannot cool. speak to who, when, where, and why people were and weren't invited. Um, if you look closely at the entrance, I bet you can figure it out, but I'm gonna let you figure it out. Or we'll talk about well, it later. Right, and, and, and to, that, <laughs> to that point, uh, I, I don't get paid by Nike. So yeah. I don't have a list of who all is in a Nike uniform. But I know that everyone who is supposed to run in a Nike uniform was not alerted to the fact that that opportunity was there. Exactly. We, we, we've covered that, but we'll talk about that later. So anyway, so what I want to do is I, I'm going to say this and then we can, I guess, do our heartbeat props, I guess. Um, I want to give a shout out to my man, Conway Hill, because he kind of started us on this thing about the monetization and of, of the sport. And I think he made a great point. And I just want to make sure we got this out there. You know, like a big faction of this affects the minorities. Because because of their economic status, a lot of them have limited or no access to these meets. And when you think about it, that's the group that down the road is going to have the most effect on the sport. So we're limiting them access to be excited about their futures. We're limiting them access to be able to watch something that may get them sparked. You know, I, I know for myself as a young as a young young man, a young boy, watching track me got me excited about track you know and so as you guys like to say if nobody sees us we, we, we they, they never know how great we really are and another shout out to our man george williams not in the huddle you know can't you can't know the play right <laughs> we 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 need dana white we need track and field version of dana white we need somebody with some vision that can figure this yeah. out because it shouldn't be this hard it really shouldn't I mean, the crazy part is like the sport is set up to be able to do this. Like we could have done, like there's so many islands that we could have used, right? And just sequester everybody for like, I don't know, five weeks. And, and we have like a five, meet, five week season where nobody goes home, everybody's in a bubble and we could have done it for sure. Well, well, well solution, I mean, Lamar, think about it like this. They've done it already. You didn't sure. have to go to an island. They just didn't do the right things of getting it out there. Think about it. We've seen 10-7. We've seen 9-8. We've seen 9-9. Two guys run night sub-20. Mm -hmm. You know, 21-9. You know, quarter mile run 10-9. You know, there's been phenomenal performances, you know, just across the board. You know, just across the board. So, like, but again, 
all these special things are going on and nobody knows. And, and, and on that side of it, I want to be really, really clear. The biggest thing that we get wrong isn't even the ability to watch Trayvon Vermeil run 9-9. Damn that. Trayvon Vermeil needs to have his story told. Look, no see, one don't, knows. Hey, look, that story will get told. Don't, don't but but it. but if it get but right but my point is if it was being told right now while people were thirsting for good stories and things it's, in sports it's, it's going he to get told be, he would it's be look, ten times the star he could be by the that time that story will get told because it's a great story my my issue is more of it should have been an an, an instant interview situation yes yeah. that's my thing. Okay, I, I'm not worried because somebody in the media is going to say, let's go talk to that guy. That's going to happen. And if you know the people in this camp, they're going to make sure that happens, right? Well, I'm not it's already late. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm just saying that I'm not worried about that so much as I would love to have been able to have somebody talk to him and he crossed the line and, hey, share with us how you feel now compared to where you thought you were going to be a year or two ago. Yeah, that's where the story is missed for me. Yeah, I just, I don't, I mean, look, look, I, I okay, I, I made a joke earlier, but I'm dead serious. Like, Jackson and I have watched professional bull riding, and that was the first place I saw live interviews done with a social distancing piece. The, 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 uh, the interviewer was on this side, there was probably seven or eight feet, and there was a little X on the ground, and the little bull rider was on this side, and they're basically having a conversation, right? But it was on the same screen. It could happen. Like, are you kidding me? We can't do that in track and field? Of course we got can. nothing but space and opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, now that we've got ourselves riled up a little bit, let's, let's get in the, the lighter side of it. Let's, let's <laughs> give our little heartbeat props out and um, let's give some thanks to those that have helped us. You know what? I'm going to go first tonight. Okay. Um, okay. If that's okay. Well, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I here. Let let me look. I, I'm teaching my seven year old. Is it okay if I go first tonight? Yes, yeah, sir. Yes, sir. It is. Thank you. Um, my heartbeat props goes out to someone who I'm 100 percent sure doesn't watch this show. So we're going to have to make sure that she does. Um, when I was in high school, I started doing track my junior year in high school. Um, and my high school coach, who I'm not going to give his name because he's going to be a heartbeat prop at some point as well. Um, he knew what he didn't know, which is a lot. <laughs> and so uh, I was encouraged to join this track club. And the, the lady who ran the track club, her name is Donna Pope Green. And she's kind of a Indiana and Indianapolis legend. And uh, I came out to the track and she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I wanted to long jump and she kind of blew me off. And she told me I had to do, um, one, two, three penultimate steps all the way around the track. And I think she was pretty sure I was going to quit because who would do that? I mean, y'all know me, so, you know, I did it. Um, probably like 415 meters of one, two, like boom, 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 boom all the way around the track. And, you know, she has since told the story that like, she realized that day, like I might have something special because no other human being would do this, <laughs> right? So long story short, 
um, you know, she was a great, she was a 21 foot long jumper back in the day. She was uh, a division two All-American at what was then Indiana Central. And it's now University of Indianapolis. Um, she still volunteers at the University of Indianapolis to coach the jumpers. And uh, she was also voted one of Indiana's greatest teachers. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I'm here because of her. She taught me how to long jump, taught me how to compete, um, helped me unlock a whole lot of the things and the anger inside me and, and use them in athletics. And has been an inspiration for me, honestly, through most of my adult life. So uh, tonight, my heartbeat props go to one Miss Donna Pope Green. That's awesome. Um, in the spirit of the hurdle tie, in, in the spirit of what I said earlier, um, adding on to the mentors, um, I, mine today is going to go to actually one of my athletes um, at Louisiana Tech. I was fortunate enough to meet the incredible human that is Miss Antoinette Cobb. And if you don't know Antoinette Cobb or her story, you should. It's one of the great stories of our sport. When I first arrived uh, to Louisiana Tech, Antoinette Cobb in the previous year had been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Almost lost her life. So I am a rookie coach in the NCAA and I get handed this group of hurdlers at a school I've never heard of. It's my first college job. And the best talent in the group is a young lady who almost lost her life to cancer. My goal was, okay, don't harm the girl. That's where my head was at. I appreciated her being on the roster and I thought it was cool. I was just like, don't send the girl to the hospital. About two weeks into training, she pulls me to the side and says, coach, I just want you to treat me like everybody else. And I said, you know what? You got it. Now, when I got there, she was a 14 mid hurdler. Three years later, that young lady ran 1308. Her was a ph phenomenal, phenomenal student studying something in medical science world that I can't even pronounce. Damn near with a 4.0. Captain of the team and qualified for the NCAAs. Prelims, regionals. She crashes hurdle eight in the, in the, in the, in the second round, I believe it was on her way to running sub 12, uh, sub 13. I have never cried so hard over a kid in my life. I'm not sure I'm gonna get through this without crying, but me and that young lady sat in the parking lot for about 35, 40 minutes and cried our eyes out. Later on that year, she was um, awarded the Honda Spirit Award, which is a really big deal in, in the world of college athletics. They flew her out to LA and you know, she got, she got to stand up with the with the Maya Moors of the world and, and received this trophy. And as far as I'm concerned, Louisiana Tech should be putting her in the Hall of Fame someday. But that is the best human being I've ever met um, as a coach in this sport. And her spirit was everything. And her leadership on that team, like that, that kid is amazing. And I, I know she's 
living her best life and doing well now. But I learned a lot from that young lady and I became a better coach and a better person because of her. So Antoinette, thank you. And I know she probably doesn't watch the show, but somebody get that to that girl. Well done, Clive. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I want to follow that, man. <laughs> but, um, you know, like you guys, I am 1,000% sure that my heartbeat props does not watch this, but I will make sure somehow that someone does get this to her. And, and this goes to a young lady that is fully responsible for getting me into coaching. Um, no doubt about that. Um, I'm about 23, 24 years old. I'm floundering. I have no idea what, I'm, what direction I'm going in my life. I don't know what I want to do. I'm out of a job. I'm dang near homeless. And she comes to me and she says, um, I'm starting a track club and I want you to work with my hurdlers. My response was, I don't have time. I got to find a job. I don't have a place to live. I don't know how I'm going to take care of my stuff. Her response was, maybe you didn't understand me. I'm starting a track club. You're coaching my hurdlers. <laughs> That's right. Um, and she said, uh, you're going to come. You know, I have a loft at my house. You're going to stay up there. You're going to get a job. We started. She started a group called the Gainesville Striders. Within two weeks, I went from coaching the hurdlers to the quarter milers to the sprinters to the 800. And she just kept challenging me. Um, before long, she got me hooked up with a job at Gainesville High School and, <clears throat> you know, just went from there. To this day, she is a great friend. We don't talk as much as we should, um, but I will never, ever forget the outpouring of love and affection. And I'm not sure what she saw in me that made her think I could coach the hurdles, other than the fact that I had run them before. But I will be forever grateful for her correcting me in that she wasn't asking me was I going to for my help she was telling me I was going to help her and that is one Miss Terry Davis uh, love you girl thank you so much for everything um for, for the laughter for the tears and and most importantly for the kick in the butt every time I needed it that's awesome and it sounds like the theme is people who don't watch the show because mine doesn't <laughs> watch oh I don't think they watch it either so uh we're definitely have to make sure this link gets out to everybody who, who is supposed to be seeing this part. Um, my heartbeat talk goes up to Dale Clayton. Uh, he was one of my first track coaches. Uh, he is the father of a really good friend of mine who actually helped get me into track and field as well. But this man did it all for us. And he, oh, he put up with some knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. I, one day it didn't stop me. I can tell you some stories of stupid things that we did at practice. Right. You know, this man would come from his electrician job with Cupertino Electrician Electric um, in his work boots, his jeans, his brown leather belt with his polo. And he would coach us over those hurdles. And he's like, no, you got to do it like this. And this man, is, I just told you what he was wearing, would come out and just yank out some hurdles. Series of three. And I'm like, well, dang, coach is doing it in some work boots, like some boom, 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 boots in the dirt. And I can't say that. Well, I don't get it because he's doing it. So I got to at least try it. Um, but he pushed us from CYO track all the way up until, you know, my, our senior year of high school. And, um, you know, I, I think he knows I'm coaching track and field at this point. I don't know, maybe. Um, but because of him, you know, track and field's a thing. And, you know, I'm very much so grateful, um, you know, since high school, myself and his daughter have, um, 
parted ways only because of distance and you know life is as life is but i appreciate him and his family but specifically him um for the light that was shown on track and field and how much i could love it so thank you so much for explaining that so whew, man this segment's getting deeper and deeper every week <laughs> we, we're just, just hitting it hard on that one well um you know to start the segment off with um or the episode off with coach brooks and then hit, hit the big i mean yeah that, that was a roller coaster in itself that already seems like an episode. it's a transition <laughs> yes <laughs> right and you know to get all those topics that we did in thank you so much for the contributions um that four one four by one conversation started about an hour so if if you've got a clock running that's what you're going to need to rewind to and listen to that a couple billion more times to get your life right <laughs> because don't let us be at a meet and one of us if you do this nonsense <laughs> um but until the next time gentlemen thank you so much have a great evening enjoy your week ahead and the days ahead and uh we will reconvene soon Good night. Thank you, Mike. When the lights come on, the road skip to running. When the lights come on, the opponents smash the plumbing. Would you like it warm, hot, knife the butter? True, pin them hard, knock them off, that rebuttal. Tsunami, tidal wave to your puddle. Tough love, punch you in the arms, little brothers. Athletics double, I'll see if there's no others. Track the field's pace and we'll peel to go further. Hey, Wiley, Coyote, it's Roadrunners. Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer. If not for this quarantine, these four corners wouldn't be here, but we're here, so start learning. You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars. Show you how to fight, but show us who you are. You lack experience, but still you wanna talk. And who is actually talking to your circle's kinda small. Heads prevail when the backbone's strong. Gotta keep it coming, no, won't last long. Pass and fail, then sell the sad song. And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong. Just trying to give you the real that you asked for. So why you keep cutting us off to ask more? We put it in slow mode, but you fast forward. Athletics Devil LC, the task force. Ooh, wasn't that fun? Man, that's it, boys and girls. That's a wrap. What a great, great, great time I just had right there. I hope you did as well. If you like what you heard, tell someone else. Best thing you can do for me right now is if you received value, go share this on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Smoke Signals, Morse Code, whatever you're using for your social media text message, old school. Let's do it, man. Really, really appreciate that. If you want to know in advance what the next greatest guest we're going to have, simply subscribe right now and whatever you're listening to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit that subscribe button and you will be in the know before anybody else. That's it. I'm out of here. Look forward to next time bringing you another great connection with another great track and field coach. Bye-bye.